A good question. Who is in charge here? Do, do you know that each time when we go to some organization or some business or some building, uh, even a church, we always tend to ask this question, who is in charge here? And it's funny that uh, in our um, language, simple language, street language, we always refer to church by the name of the pastor, right? We says, well, this is this such and such church. This is such and such church. Now, again, in the street, street language, it's, it's, it's allowable because people don't know any better sometimes. But if you, if you talk to uh, ministers or pastors or believers or uh, godly leadership, it always, they always cringe when people call the church by their name. It's always, it doesn't sit well with these people. And the reason why, and that's what I tried to explain to this gentleman on Thursday, that church doesn't belong to anybody but Christ. And if you only understand that, uh, that would uh, help us to understand a lot of different processes in the church and the, the, the way how we do things or why we do things certain way. And because of this, I wanted to finish this big discussion that we had in October regarding church. Of course, it's not comprehensive. It's just a snapshot of the church doctrine in general because it's one month. But in the same time, uh, it was a good snapshot for us to get a, a, a glimpse as to what the church is supposed to be at least and what it is that we are striving to do as a church. And today I'm going to finalize this by addressing this uh, very important uh, point, which is a church government. Now, this is uh, a very sensitive, I would say, in addition to uh, a very important uh, topic. And the reason why is that church government, or when we're talking about government, we, we refer to authority, and it, it, in many cases, in many times, authority doesn't really, uh, doesn't really, is not taken by a lot of people very well. And I am that kind of a person. I don't like the word government in general. I came from the country that we didn't like government. And I always have to deal with this, this, this idea of not liking the government. And the same thing with authority. I didn't like authority growing up, any authority. And I was a very rebellious guy. I didn't like parental authority. I didn't like governmental authority. I didn't like educational authority. I didn't like nobody. And I would always do just the opposite. Uh, I was blessed by uh, curious and, and uh, good mind. I was able to do good grades, maintain good grades when I was in the school or in the college. But at the same time, I would always provoke the professors and teachers to the point where they just didn't know how to deal with me because I was super rebellious. But here is the, another thing that there is um, something that we call church authority. So if I don't like authority in general, that actually goes into the church dimension as well. And here's the thing. What about uh, family authority? Do we have authority in the family? Do we have like a uh, father figure, <laughs> parental authority, for example? So this is the, the thing that we are dealing today because I am going to touch this. Uh, number one, I will talk about who, below, who, who is in charge of church. That's number one. I want to touch that point. And then leaders in the church. Do we even have that? Do we have leadership? What is, in other words, what's the leadership structure in the church? And then the uh, third point, authority in the church. Very sensitive, I should uh, emphasize this point. Very sensitive um, topic when we are talking about authority and especially authority in church. Why? Because, let me just give you a hint, because authority is very often abused and overused in the world, in politics, in government, in education, and in families, and sadly enough, 
abused and overused in the church. And I am aware of it. And some of the things that I am doing as a minister of the gospel is to intentionally deal with authority from this direction. And you will see, you will understand a lot of different things that I'm doing from this perspective, from the biblical platform. Now, I like the quote by Rick Warren, who says, in every growing church, you will find leadership that is not afraid to believe God. That is critical if we grasp that idea. Because, see, you can have leadership in the church that appease the crowd. You can find leadership in the church that is trying to be relative or trying to be, re trying to be popular in the culture. Or you can have a leadership that choose to believe in God, even though sometimes it's not popular or can be even countercultural. And the funny thing is, if you have leadership that choose to believe God, that is precondition for number one, health of the church, and as a consequence of this, or result of the health of the church, growth of the church. Now, I am praying that by the end of this message, everybody here is inspired not just to know, to learn about the uh, godly leadership or government of the church, but also to support the, the leadership of the church and government of the church, and um, to be able to submit to godly authority, that's another thing, and to extract these benefits and blessing in this kind of uh, predisposition to godly leadership and godly authority. That's my prayer. And why, why is it so important? And let me just explain it this to you. Um, I know that when we're talking about authority in general, because it's a, such a sensitive topic, because it's a, uh, authority in general is abused in a lot of different contexts, a lot of believers, contexts, a lot of believers don't understand the blessing uh, that comes through uh, the godly leadership and godly authority. They don't understand it. Now, the Bible, specifically New Testament, extensively teaches about authority in the church and leadership in the church. If you read the gospel, if you read the epistles, if you read the, you read the we call it minutes of the apostles, which is the book of Acts, if you read these books, you will see a lot of uh, hints and teachings about the structure of the church. How the church is supposed to be structured. And here is the big point. Remember, we were talking about the fact that church is not just a body of believers. And we were talking about family of the consistent of sinners saved by grace. We were talking about household of God. Church is the household of God. And we were talking about, when we are talking about household of God, we understand that household presupposes the structure. It has to be a structure. If you don't have a structure, we call it a living room church. Living room church that doesn't have a structure never will be able to accomplish to anything in, in this life. Why? Because they are meeting together, they are stroking each other, they are excited, and, and they are actually reaping the benefit of the fellowship, which is great. That's called organic church. But as far as structure goes, and last time we were talking about the fact that we are not a cruise ship, but we are a battleship, and battleship presuppose a structure. And so when you have the structure of a team, that is something that is necessary to produce some results and being effective in the mission. But here is the thing. Listen. Why is that that leadership of the church, number one, 
is being, in many cases, formed by any standards, but not by biblical standards. Why is that that leadership and authority in church is being taken with such a big skepticism in general? And why is it that we always have problems with leadership in the church or uh, the, the, the uh, structure of the church and contentions in this area where Bible is so clearly and comprehensively teaches on the issue of the leadership and authority of the church. Why? And let me just give you this before I move on. If I was an enemy of the church as Satan is, I'm just thinking out loud, what would be my strategy to render church ineffective? The first strategy. And I will tell you this, is to focus and target leadership. Either to make leadership to be formed in not biblical pattern or way, or to sow seed of discord, contention, and skepticism about godly leadership in the church. And if the church is skeptical about the leadership of the church, rest, be, rest assured that the church will never be able to accomplish anything. And so devil is very clear. If I can target the leadership of the church, the church will never be able to accomplish God's purposes of the, on, the, on the earth. Why? Because the way how God accomplishes things. Remember, we were talking about, and, and, and I just want to refresh your memory, uh, if, 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 if you go back in the history and look at the Old Testament church, and the first Old Testament church that we know, and actually it was the, the picture of today's church, the New Testament, that was the Moses church, right? So the first thing that ever happened was God raised leaders. And when God raised leaders, then the church formed. Leadership is the first thing that God is taking care of. Because church cannot function without leadership. There is no structure. And remember Jesus once looked at the children of Israel and he was sad because he looked at all these people and he says they were like sheep without what? A shepherd. And so when God raises a church, when God wants to accomplish something in the nation, when God all wants to create or raise the new generation of, of believers, or if God wants to show the renewal of the church or revival of the church, if you want, what does happen first? The first thing what happens is God raises leaders who accept the charge who accept the mission and vision from God, and from that God used them to carry out His purposes on this earth. So the first thing what devil or enemy charges or targets in the church is a leadership. And I will tell you right now, I am giving you this from my example. I've been in these situations in different times, and I've seen how leaders are being viciously targeted by a lot of different forces of the enemy. This is, I'm not, I'm not joking, I'm not just saying this to tell you this. This is true. But if this is true, I wanted to kind of uh, define the leadership, define the way how God actually operates and uses leadership in the church and so on. Now, the a base scripture before we go on would be Ephesians 2, 19, 20 that we use throughout this um, series from the very beginning. And I want to emphasize the last point. 
Consequently, you are not, no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. That talks about the family of sinners saved by grace. And also members of his household. That refers to the structure. Household always presupposes structure. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That supposes the teachings. The true teaching or sound doctrine. Not people, like some people believe. But the sound doctrine and revelation of God's word. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And that's my focal point today. The church being a divine institution or supernatural institution can only function when it is based on Jesus Christ. Everything else short of it is not going to be a church. It can be a country club, it can be a biblical club, it can be a family club. I mean, sometimes relatives who believe in Christ, they form churches. So it's a family club who believe in God, but it not doesn't mean it's a church. Why? Because church, it's a family of sinners saved by grace, led by qualified leaders to accomplish missions of God in this earth for the glory of God. That's the loose definition of the church again, technical definition if you want. Now, if you look at this, we acknowledge that church being a divine institution cannot function just because some smart people come together and say, let's just go ahead and open up another church. You can do that. God bless you. It can only function when Christ, who is the head of the church, originates and ordains this process. If that happens, my friend, the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail that kind of institution, no matter what. And because of this, I am focusing right now on this very po point, which is the head of the church. Who is the head of the church? Who is the cornerstone? Who is the main person in the church? Or who is in charge of the church? And I intentionally, specifically, when people say who is in charge of the church, I am not in charge of the church, although sometimes I, 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 I am in the front. I, I show up somewhere and I talk to people. That's different thing. We will talk about how this work. But plainly speaking, listen, in Colossians 1.18, the Bible says, and he, who he? Christ, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. I want you to imagine that picture. The church is a body of Christ. You, us, is the church, is the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. Now, he is the head. There is no way around. He is the beginning and the firstborn born from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Now, there are several points here that I want to emphasize. Number one, that he has supremacy. That means that everything is by him, through him, and for his glory. He is supreme and he is sufficient to be a church to be the, the head of the church. His wisdom, his guidance, his ruling, and his provision is sufficient for the church. He is supreme. But let me, let me do this. In order for us to understand what was happening here, we need to understand that this letter was written to a church in Colossae. It's for Colossians. And who, this, who was this church in Colossae? That was a church that was a fresh church, a new church, a young church. 
And the Bible says that this church in Colossae was filled or bombarded by a lot of fancy teachers and philosophers and people who had a lot of knowledge, smart folks. And Apostle Paul was teaching about this, and he says, beware of these guys. Beware of these teachers. Why? Because when they bring these puffed-up philosophies, that can actually endanger the church itself. You can have a lot of smart ideas, but if you have smart ideas, that can actually endanger the relationship between body and the church, because Christ is the church. And your smart ideas will never match the wisdom of Christ, no matter how smart you are. And so I am just taking a look here in the Colossae, and I'm coming back to the 24th century in our context in Springfield. We live in pretty much the same scenario, like Colossians Church was. We have a lot of smart ideas going on. We have a lot of smart folks going on who try to implement some smart things in the church. And let me just give you some example because sometimes people don't understand. What I mean under being smart is when we, in each, in each century, we had the situation we tried to revisit or rethink the church. We tried to see and say, well, you know what? Genesis is actually not exactly what Bible says. Or we say, well, you know what? Miracles of Christ were not actually miracles. It's just that when Jesus gave bread to people and fish to people, they tried to share with each other, and there was no multiplication of bread. It was just that people started to share with each other. I like that idea. But brothers and sisters, you cannot explain God. When God does miracles, he still does miracles. When God heals the lepers, he still heals the lepers. When God turns water into wine, he still turns water into wine. When Jesus calms the storm, he still calms the storm. Your smartness, your intelligence will never match the miracle of God. And somebody has to st uh, stand up today and say, well, yeah, we cannot explain God, and God is still supernatural, and he is still head of the church. Now, what, what, what we, we have right now, we, we, we have this situation that people say, well, how does it apply today to me? And I will tell you, recently, well, this week, I've heard on the news that the head of the, one of the biggest churches or denominations in the church actually embraced gay marriage. And he said, I don't want to criticize any kind of a church, but that kind of head, and again, how can you be a head of the church if Christ is the head of the church? There's something else I don't understand. And he decided in his prominence that, you know what, after all, it's okay. <laughs> well, but wait a, sec a second. Did you consult with the true head of the church before you issued that kind of uh, permission? Or you just make a decision on your own, and then it becomes acceptable in the church? And here is the biggest problem. Listen. When the church starts to emulate the head of the church on its own, it creates this situation. I'm not sure if you have relatives or friends who are paraplegic, or uh, I know of, I have a friend who is, uh, has cerebral paralysis. When the head is not talking to the body very well, and so what you end up having, you end up having a slurred speech. You cannot talk clearly. And that's what we have in the church today. Do you know the church does not preach sometimes gospel clearly and succinctly as to what it is. We try to explain the gospel. We try to water down the gospel sometimes. 
You don't, you don't have to do it. The gospel is gospel. Jesus Christ died for every sinner. And everybody is the sinner. And everybody needs Christ. What else can you explain? We cannot water it down. And, and, and so the, the speech is slurred. Now another thing is what, what you cannot do is that what you want to accomplish. In other words, you want to do certain things, but your body doesn't listen to you. It's just not moving. Your, your limb don't, don't move the way have you want it to be. It cannot move. It cannot walk. It cannot do things with your hands. That's the, that's the picture of a body that is disconnected from the church. I mean, from the head. Now, the other thing is that is typical to this situation is that there is a level of frustration. Because you kind of know what you want to accomplish, but you're not able to. You know where you want to be, but you cannot. Level of frustration in the church. Here is the thing. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever been to the train stations. I like to go to train stations with kids. I took my little kids, boys, to the train station just for them to see this big. But what, what is interesting in the, in, the, in the train station, especially me growing up, going to the train station, you could hear this, these announcements. That, and sometimes th this, this announcement would be pronounced in the loudspeakers. It's very loud. Basically, it covers the whole area here. But what's amazing about this, if, you, if you've been to the big uh, train station, is like when the announcement is being made, people, like sea of people on the train station, they don't, they don't care. Everybody is just completely ignore that which is being spoke over the loudspeaker. Now, the, the, the picture is Sometimes I think the church is functioning like this. There is this pronouncement. Jesus is talking. Holy Spirit is moving. And the church is like moving on its own. Let's decide that we want to accept gay marriage today. And Jesus is like, no! <laughs> Loudspeaker, don't do that! Don't do that! I am the head of the church. From now on, gay speaker, uh, gay, gay people I, are acceptable. Where are you moving? You are, you are paralyzed. And so the biggest problem here is this. Listen, in the church, in order for the church to be a church that gates of hell will never prevail, is you submit to the headship of Christ. That's the precondition. What we've done in the church sometimes, we try to be relevant in the society and try to appease the society instead of change the society. Do you know that church will never be popular in the society because we are countercultural? So why do we need to make sure that we are popular? We will never be popular. We are out of this world. We have different culture. Call it a Jesus culture, Christ culture, or kingdom culture, whatever it is, but it's a different culture, completely counter-cultural, completely counter of what is happening here. So why do you need to go ahead and work on your popularity? The one thing that should concern every believer of Christ, just one thing, not to be popular, but to be submitted to the headship of Christ. And here is the thing. How is church, how is church in general, is submitted to the head of, of Christ? How is it? Are we submitted to the headship of Christ, this church, this body? Do you know? Well, let me give you an answer. The way, the key, how the church is, as a body, is submitted to the headship of Christ. Are you submitted to my persona or charisma, 
dat wij gaan smart zijn. En jullie volgen mij, Pastor Oleg? Of jullie submitted to Christ? Dat is de big question to ask. En dit is de antwoord. If every believer in the church individually submitted to the Christ, headship of Christ, the church in whole will be submitted to the headship of Christ. There is no any other way around. Now, I, I hear people saying, wait a second, Pastor Oleg, but what about if one person is not submitted? Everybody is submitted to the headship of Christ. One person is not submitted. Unfortunately, it's a problem. Why? Remember this story in, in, in Old Testament? Uh, there was this guy, Akhan, who, who hid something that was cursed in his tent, and there was a big problem in the over whole nation of Israel. Do you think it's just a story? It's a very important story, and let me give you why. Let me explain you why. See, a problem with one believer in the church reflects on the whole body. And let me just give you something even more, uh, more uh, serious. If I, as a part of the body of church, or a body of Christ, live in sin, it's not my individual problem. That problem of me living in sin, even though it's a secret sin, even though it's something that I don't really show in the public, it does affect church in general. And as a result, submittal of the church, health of the church, and as a result, the growth of the church in general. Ooh, this is a serious stuff that you're talking about, Pastor Oleg. But hell, let me explain. I don't have much time, but let me explain this real quick. Do you see these fancy words that I put here on the screen? This, this, these are the, the, the different definitions of that we, which we call sin. And let me just attach this to this illustration between head and the body. The only thing that disturbs or ruins the relationship, communication between head, the Christ, and the body of Christ. Do you know what it is? Who knows what it is? Yeah, sin, sin. So that sin, either individually or collectively, what it does, it becomes a, a problem when, when, your to, when your brain cannot talk. And you know that brain does everything. You know pituitary gland? It produces hormones for entire body. And all your body can function because it regulates the temperature, regulates the, 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 the other glands in your body. And if your body, it regulates the growth. If your pituitary gland does not work properly, do you know that some people grow without end? They can grow until somebody medically messes with, with this and, 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 and it, it can stop the process. Why? Because that's the headship or rulership of the head over the body. The same thing in the church. And when the connection is severed, the body is not functioning properly. It's there, but it's paralyzed. Have you ever been in the church that is paralyzed? Paralyzed. You have a lot of different things going on, but paralyzed. Do you have a movement of the Holy Spirit? No, because we are paralyzed. Do you have energy coming from the head, instruction coming from the head to your limbs and saying in one accord, make a step forward, make a hand like this? No, because it's paralyzed. The church is paralyzed. Brothers and sisters, I see this vivid picture. The time has come for a church to come from this state of being paralyzed and be connected to the headship of Jesus Christ. This is the time like this. And here is the big point. Listen. The sin in any individual and collectively, the first one is hamartia. Do you know what hamartia means? It's the sin that is called missing the mark. And we all know it. That's when we think that I'm supposed to be this, but I am actually this. Everybody knows uh, uh, missing the, the mark. Um, when 
when we don't do what we're supposed to do. But the other one is parabasis. Parabasis is like, it's a little bit different. If you were a child and you, you sometimes draw a line on the sand and you said to your opponent, try to cross this line, you will see. That's the parabasis, meaning crosses the, crossing the line. You willingly, you know it's wrong. You know it's bad. You know it's not good. But you are what? Parabasis, crossing. That's also sin. Different kinds of sin. And remember, sin is not just, just doing things. It's a state of mind. It's a mentality. It's your, your psy psyche, if you want. It's, it's, it's your position, disposition to life. The, the, the third one is uh, paraptoma. It's all Greek, guys. <laughs> paraptoma. Paraptoma is a little bit different. It's slipping across the line. Do you know what slipping across the line is? It's when you do something inadvertently. The first one, you do it on, you knowingly do this, but you just choose to do it. But the, this, the third one, this one, paraptoma, is when you're sleeping. Like, for example, you say something, or you scream at somebody, or you did a mistake, and you're like, oh my gosh, how did I do this? Does it happen to you? It happened to me a lot. You're like, oh my God, did I just, did I just say that? Paraptoma. But it's also a sin. And then you have something that anomia. Anomia is it's a, it's a, it's also a Greek word that says complete lawlessness or disregard of the law. Now, the, 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 I know that nobody here is, is living in this anomia, but anomia is like when you are saying, you know what, I don't care about the principles, the laws, and everything. I live the way how I want. And it's very prevalent in this culture, this society. I just like, you know, this is my business. I just live the way I want. Anomia. That's the sin when you completely disregard any standards at all, and you live whatever you want. And the final one is ophele, ophelema. It's Greek again. Now, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a sin that you, you don't give that which you owe to somebody or to God. For example, I, I, I was supposed to give God a glory, but I don't give, and God gave me the base mind because I didn't worship God the way how I was supposed to. Or um, I was supposed to do this, but I didn't. It's a, it's a, it's a sin of omission, if you want, and, and that's also indebting or being in debt to somebody. Are you a father? Do you, do you give the kind of care love and support your children is supposed to? No. Well, then you sin. Now, <laughs> of course, I didn't want to put too much dark, darkness over you today, but here is the point. All of these issues are symptomatic of this state when the head is not talking to the body directly. And the church doesn't know what to do. And here is the point. I emphasize this. Any individual sin in the church by any individual affects the entire body. Nobody lives in the vacuum. That's why um, the, 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 the job of the leadership in the church is to do that. Do you know that part of the leadership of the church is to come here and talk about this? And that's why people sometimes don't like me. Pastor Oleg, how can you talk about it? Do you know that I have this problem and you keep talking about this? Because I don't want you to live in the, in the sin. So, let's just go ahead quickly jump into the leaders in the church. It's a little bit more interesting because I see that you got a little bit a little bit depressed now. Let me just move a little bit more into the leadership. So here is, here is uh, we acknowledge that yes, the head, the only head, not Pope, not Archbishop, but the only head in the church is Jesus Christ alone. No exception. With that being said, we, we are saying, well, what about leaders? Who are they? What do they do? Well, the Bible extensively teaches about this. Listen, in 1 Peter 5.1, Apostle Paul says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. This is such a rich verse, and I, wanna, I don't have much time, but I want to just, just kind of dwell a little bit here. 
to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Now listen what he says. Number one, he, he mentions this word elders. What is elder? I want you to remember this technical definition. It's a mature man having seasoned judgment. Do you get it? It's not, it's not necessarily older person, man or woman. It's mature person. Do you know that some people who are old are not mature? And do you know that some people who are young, but very mature? And so these people who are mature, the seasoned judgment is called to be elder in the church. Do we have elders in the church here? But here is what he says. He says, to the elders in the church, listen, elders, I appeal as a fellow elder. Do you, do you, do you see several things here? Number one, the elders always looked in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. Remember uh, uh, Moses and 70 leaders? The elders always look in the context of plurality. You cannot have just one elder. You always... Yesterday, we were doing these ducks, and we came over there. I was doing this by myself. I couldn't do it. People came. Noah came. Vasya came. And together we did it because Vasya has idea. Noah has idea. In the context of plurality, church is being led through Christ by a group of elders in plurality. But I want to mention something else here. He says, elders among you. Let me ask you this question. Does it say elders over you? It says elders among you, right? Does it, does, it, does it suppose any kind of hierarchy? No. It says elders among you. Now, no, no, even, even that, even more, listen. I appeal as what? Archbishop? Super pastor? Super dynamic leader? As a fellow elder making the, the level field, making everybody as a saved sinners by the grace of God. I am a fellow elder. Please, and, and he says this, but one important point. As a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed, he grounds, listen to this, he grounds his role as an elder in the death and resurrection of Christ. In other words, your degree in divinity doesn't really matter here. It's good. Or your talent to speak very good sermons, that's not really what needed as an elder. He says that I'm sharing in suffering and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I, in other words, am personal witness and I experience the suffering and the resurrection of Jesus Christ personally. In other words, in order for me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have to relive the gospel of Jesus Christ personally. How can I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ if I am not a product of the gospel of Jesus Christ? How can I lead worship if I don't worship Jesus Christ all the time? If, if, how can I lead prayer if I don't pray all the time? How can I preach the word of God if the word of God is not being preached in my heart? If I didn't consume the word of God in my spirit, he says that, elders. So, in order to, for us to understand that, elder is the mature person with sound judgment. But here is the thing. So, in the church, we have this group of people called elders, and they're supposed to do certain things in the church. We will look uh, in the next uh, verse. But 
I hear people in the church all the time who says, wait, but Pastor Oleg, what about this um, priesthood of all believers? Have you ever heard that? Priesthood of all believers, everybody is a priest. Do we believe that? It's a scripture. Everybody is a priest. Yes, that's true. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. However, it doesn't mean that we do make decisions collectively, thereby creating a democracy. There are certain group of people in the church who make decisions, not the whole church. If the whole church is making decisions, you create another democratic party. And your pastor would be Joe Biden. Because church is never a democracy, never been a democracy. In the Old Testament and the New Testament. Neither it is autocracy. What autocracy is? Autocracy is you have a one dynamic person, strong personality, smart, charismatic, and everything is pointed to that person. And so you, now you have a, we call it celebrity pastors. And I mentioned this last time. Celebrity pastor, it's the disease of this, of this century. You have powerful pastors who are on the TV all the time, and I'm not saying that they are not godly. I am talking not about people, I'm talking about the phenomena. And these celebrity pastors never supposed to be leaders in the church. Why? Because we have elders in the church. And I mentioned uh, last time that elders sometimes might not be popular or may not be even celebrity. Nobody knows about elders. But yet they carry out purposes of God in the body of, the, of, of Christ. Here is the thing. The, in order for the church to be a church, body of Christ, connected to head, we function in one only one possible way, which is theocracy. We received Christ as the head of the church and we listen to his instructions and transfer or convey or relay these instructions to the entire body of the, church, of the Christ. Does it make sense? Okay. With this being said, I, I don't have much time, but let me just finish this real quickly. He continues, Paul continues. He says, Elders, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Do you hear this? Now he introduced this idea of shepherds. Now, does he say executive? Does he say CEO? Does he say business, commerce people? Does he say be Coaches or a athletic kind of connotation here? Or does he have, does he say be professors, teach people nice sermons? No, he says shepherds. And I have to grant right now that shepherd actually does include these three because good shepherd needs to know how to plan, which is executive. Good shepherd needs to know how to coach, which is athletic. Good shepherd needs to know how to basically teach or do research, which is academia. So all three in this. And that's why he used this word shepherds. But I want to uh, look at this. Uh, on the bottom, I have these three words that reflect this biblical structure of the church. Shepherds, from the Greek, poimen, speaks to the issue of responsibility. Because if you think about this, shepherds are the people who are leading the flock to the good pastures, right? That's the responsibility. And also they have responsibility to protect the flock. Protect from what? Number one, protect from wolves and protect from bad doctrines. And Apostle Paul was teaching about this extensively. He says, among you will rise wolves. Do these wolves come from the world? No. From within you, he says, wolves will come. So that's why we have shepherds. And shepherds 
are fearful sometimes with the walls. So that's why sometimes people are, are mad, because we're fearful sometimes. When I see that somebody is trying to touch or take advantage of logs, I am not apologetic here. You're going to get in trouble with me. It's really easy. That's my responsibility. I'm sorry. But here's the thing. Another thing he says, under your care, watching over them. What is watching over them? We, we got it all wrong in, in, the, in the churches over the centuries. Listen, uh, overseer, watching over them, that's the word here, overseer. Uh, from the word yes, episcopi. Episcopi, that's the word that we use today in this culture, bishops. And so we created a structure. And Kate from Catholic Church. And it actually came into the Protestant Church. In the Protestant Church, we have bishops and archbishops. <laughs> Where did it come from? Look at the Bible. Study the Bible. God gave you the structure of the church. Just study the Bible. What does it mean? I'll show you what it means. It simply means that the elder, who you know who the elder is, is the person who is mature and demonstrates the seasonal judgment, seasonal judgment, seasonal judgment. This mature person can function as an overseer and as a shepherd. Can a shepherd and, and from this word shepherd, we have today's word pastor. And, and some, I don't have time to go into this area, but sometimes we, we don't use pastor word properly. But the idea is the elder who is mature. In other words, can I take a pastor who is very, very smart, just finished graduate degree, extremely charismatic, and play guitar and make him a shepherd in the church? No. Why? Because it speaks to character, not to the talent. And that's why we have situation. A known church says the worship leader who created so many worship uh, songs to, to, to church around the globe, all of a sudden says, well, you know what? I don't even know if God exists. Huh? <laughs> you've, you've been a worship leader for so many years and you don't even believe that, don't know if God exists. Why? Because he's very talented. Yet, he's not an elder. Do we have any elders in this church? Now, when you have an elder, this elder becomes a shepherd to carry out purposes of a shepherd, which is to feed, to protect, and to guide, and an overseer. Do you know what overseer or episcopi is? Episcopi is? Overseer, it's a person who inspects, evaluates, and Assess. Like overseer, it's like inspector, home inspector. He comes and he sees what's wrong. That's episcopal. It's a, not a guy from somewhere, from another city, who has a very top position in church, high in church. That's not an overseer. Overseer is a person who has ability from God to see what is wrong and what needs to be done to correct it. That's episcopal. And that is being carried out by people who are elders. Does it make any sense? No? Yes? But here's the point. Listen, I, I'm almost done, but I'm just going to give you this. He speaks to three issues here. Number one, the reason behind you being an elder and shepherd and episcopal. The motives and the matters. And I want to gladly touch the, uh, uh, shortly uh, touch this and move on to the finish point. The, the, the reason, he says, not because you must, but because you are willing. You are an elder and a shepherd and an overseer, not because somebody is pushing you and you have to do this, but because you are willing, because you understand what is at stake, because you understand that if not you, who else? That's your disposition. I need to do something. You see that something is quite wrong in the church. I need to do something. You're an elder. You're grown up. Let's do it. But then he says, the motives. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, 
but eager to serve. I know a pastor who, who created contention in the church to become a pastor, so he has a salary. So wait a second. So you created discontent in the church, split the church to get a salary? It's, it's, it's ridiculous, just the idea of it. It's so repulsive to me that I am about to throw up right now. And his, Apostle Paul is speaking about it. He says, beware of this. Because if you have a wrong motivation, you know that you will never get any salary anywhere on the marketplace. You know that you don't have any skills. And you're like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and create a discontention in church, and I'm, I'm going to become a pastor, and I will be all set. This is your motivation? Good luck to this church. Now, and our job is, again, as, as shepherds, is not to stroke the sheep, right? Not to, not to entertain them like people sometimes do but to feed the sheep or to guide them to the rich pastures. Feeding is something that is essential, but it might not be like candy all the time. It sometimes it can be very solid food. You've got to eat it, guys. Why? Because it's all about growth. Anyway, I don't have much time about this, but let's just finish with this authority in the church. And I, I'm going to finalize this uh, really briefly. I mentioned that this is something that people have apprehension about. Authority is always a sensitive uh, topic. Authority is always something that people uh, are worried about. We, 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 when, we, when we talk about marriage and authority in the family, it's always like storm going on. And, and, and people don't realize that Authority, which comes from Jesus. Remember in Matthew 28, he says uh, to the disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus is the source of any and all authority to people, including the authority in the church. Jesus delegates authority to the leadership in the church. But Apostle Paul in 1 Peter 5.3, continues, he says, not lording, remember we're talking about the reason, the method, and this is uh, um, the motives, and this is the method. Not lording it over those entrusted to you by being examples to the flock. Have you, have you been to churches with, with, with leaders who are lording? Do you know whom you talk to? I am such and such. That's, be, that's, that's how it's happening in the world. Apostle Paul says, you execute your authority or shepherding of the flocks, not being bosses, but being example. Remember Apostle Paul says, imitate me as I imitate the Christ. You look at me and, and try to be an example, but that puts a lot of pressure on the leaders to be examples in everything. Because see, what I've learned in life is this, that you can go to the fancy schools and learn fancy stuff, but to young people I'm talking to you right now, if you really want to perfect and succeed in one field, do you know what you need to do? Let me give you a hint from, from a guy like me who've been through a lot of different things in life. Let me give you a hint. If you really want to perfect and learn a field, find a person who succeeded in this field in the big, in the big way and go under the wing of this person. This is going to be your best school. Why? Because this is the way how we learn. This is the way how we grow. This is the way how we develop. You want to be a great leader? Find a great leader and be under this person's wings. That's how we become great leaders when we are under headship of Jesus Christ. That's why how we grow when we learn from each other. Or you're growing grow, uh, great with your, with your family, let me learn from you. 
Or you're great with financing, let me grow, for, uh, learn from you. Or you're great with, with personal fitness, let me grow, uh, grow from you.